0: Ask not what your country can do for you,
1: ask what you can do for your country. I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream.
0: Never give in. Never, never, never. In nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good
1: sense. Welcome to the On Point Podcast. This is your host, Luke Elshoff a first-year hailing from Region 8 based in NCFCA. This is a weekly podcast where I'll have a guest on the show and cover something in speech or debate. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I'm joined by Zion Sirland. And now, Zion is a consistent speech winner, even back in 2019. At her very first tournament, she won Duo Interpretation. Since then, she has won countless Open and Duo speech events, And this year, she has won Open Interpretation and Duo at the National Open in North Carolina. She will be competing in seven speech events for the regional championship in May. Now, welcome to the show, Zion.
0: Hi, Luke. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Now, I'm not sure if I pronounced your last name correctly. How do you pronounce that?
0: It's a lot of debate with both my first name and my last name, but it's Zion Surlin. Yeah.
1: Okay. I think I got it right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... Tell me a little bit about interpretation and your experiences with it. What got you into interps? For
0: me, interp was the first speech that I competed in. So for my first year, it was mandatory in my family to do debate. So I did LD and it was a one requirement to do one speech. So I had the choice between an interp or impromptu. And like most people, impromptu just absolutely terrifies me. So I opted for interp and I did a duo interpretation with my brother. And it was my first ever speech category competing and I was super duper nervous. Um, but honestly, it was a lot of fun. Although I was so nervous the entire time for my first tournament, I gotta say I learned so much from it. And ever since then, ever since then, I have completely fallen in love with interps.
1: So about debate and other speeches, do you really like them or do you just have your love for interps?
0: Debate? I get a lot of um a lot of people don't really understand when i say i don't really like debate i think that debate is a great skill that everyone should use and i'm so glad that i competed in it just for me i don't see an appeal in debate as much as i do with speech i do think it's absolutely necessary to do debate and you can learn so much from it but i've done about three years in debate and i think i've learned enough that i need to and i just i'm just more of a speech person and i think all of the speech categories i love all the other speech categories but i just think interp is the one that i'm the best at but i love doing a bunch of speeches which is why i competed in a lot of categories this year and last year
1: yeah and now with interps there seems to be almost like a presupposition that some people have about them because it it almost seems to be kind of disconnected from the realm of the rest of the speeches and the rest of the debates So what are your thoughts on interps? Is there any real practical benefits about interpretations that can help you as much as other speeches can?
0: I absolutely think that interp needs a place in speech and debate categories. The reason for this is because interp is more than just acting. I think that's a really big assumption that people have is that interps are solely relying on acting skills alone and that is actually not the case at all. From what I've learned since starting and since watching as a junior, interps have multiple different criteria to fulfill. It Almost just like in debate and in other speeches, it needs to be a balanced in all of it. So I think interp is important for multiple different reasons, but the main thing is it comes to expressing yourself. And if you're able to tell an effective story Because a lot of people just think that it's just storytelling and you can tell an entertaining story and that's it. But you have to be able to act well. You have to be able to block well and think well and think very creatively. And that's something that can't be done in other speech categories and like platforms or limited preps. This is a more creative thing that you can creatively express yourself in.
1: That's a really interesting response because I've never really thought about interpretations as a form of expressing yourself. I've always just seen it as a way of people just acting a story from a book that they found interesting. But no, that, that's really true what you just mentioned. And I feel like in other speeches, you can just tell a story through them, but it's not the same because with interpretations, there's almost sort of an emotional connection that you have with the characters.
0: I definitely agree. And I think that storytelling is so much more than people put it to be. When you think about it, actually, our history is made of stories. And yes, you can orally tell stories, but if, have you ever like seen a good movie? Those good movies, they don't just tell stories. They show you how these stories happened, what people were feeling. And there are some things that cannot be expressed through words alone. They have to be expressed through motion and through blocking and all of these other things.
1: Right. So like you mentioned earlier, you talked about how people always think that you just need to be a great actor to become an inter- in a good interp speaker. But I believe that there's some level of truth to that, or unless you disagree, do you need to have to be a good actor in order to be a good interpretation speaker?
0: I think acting does definitely play a big role in interps. However, I think anybody can become a good actor. While some people are naturally more skilled at it, um, while acting does play a big role, there are other things that have to be into it. For example, um, like blocking, I think is a big portion of it because you can just sit there and do an entire monologue and it could be a great monologue. But if you don't set a setting or set the plot or set your story in a correct way, It will just be nothing more than just a good monologue or a good performance or a good dialogue. While acting is definitely an important part of it, it's not all there is to it.
1: Yeah, because it's also a part of yourselves and being connected and involved with the characters that you're portraying. And I feel like that kind of translate into better acting. If you actually have a connection with the characters that you are acting out, and that will in turn Uh, help you with how you portray these characters would you agree
0: i would definitely agree yeah you have to be able to connect with the characters but most importantly you have to be able to portray the story in multiple different ways and i think why interp is really good is because not only do you have to pick a good story a good story is not just entertaining it's not just something that makes the audience laugh It's not something that just makes them cry. It's not something that they just enjoy watching. It has to be something with an impact. Because if you just do a simple story, and it's great, it's really entertaining, but the audience doesn't have a main takeaway from it, chances are they're not going to remember it, and it just doesn't really serve a point.
1: Yeah. So on that note, tell me a little bit about your interp this year and uh, your thought process behind making it.
0: So my inter this year is, the book is titled Sadaku and the 1000 Paper Cranes by Suda Chico. And it takes place in World War II after the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombing. And it talks about this girl from age 10 to 12. And her name is Sadaku Sasaki. And not a lot of people know about her. But after the bombing in both Hiroshima and Nagasaki, because of the fact it was a nuclear bomb the radiation affected people even after the bomb. So yes, so many people died from the initial bombing, but many people after the bombing, even if they lived, they got sick from the radiation, from the sickness that they that they titled radiation sickness, and most of these people would have leukemia. And so Sadaki was about two, three years old when the bombing initially happened, and my open interp, uh, essentially, it, it goes over the bombing the bombing scene first but then it talks about afterwards and the reason why Sadako Sasaki I wanted to focus on is because in Japan she is known to be a figure of peace and even though she grew up poor the whole interp is about her and her battle with leukemia after the bombing so she went she grew up for like 10 years totally fine and then when she hit 12 years old she was diagnosed with leukemia and her whole world turned upside down but throughout it all she remained so selfless and she gave to all others around her and even though she felt beaten down so many times she always encouraged everyone around her to always keep fighting and to always never be mad and so she could have blamed the people who dropped the bomb but she just took it as what it is and she encouraged everyone around her to be selfless and happy and happy sorry
1: yeah that sounds like a great story it's so fascinating i remember watching that that interp of yours at North Carolina, and it was just so emotionally riveting the way that you portrayed Thank it. Thank you. But I, I kind of forget how you how you ended the, the story. What was the impact that you gave with that?
0: My impact of the story um, was as Christians, we can learn from Sadaku, even though she wasn't a Christian, she was always selfless, and she never, ever put herself first. Even though she was the one that was sick, she could have complained and said, I'm dying, I'm sick. But when other people were suffering around her, she always put that ahead of herself. For example, her parents who were struggling to pay the hospital bills, instead of her just being like, that's how it is, she felt as if she was undeserving to go through hospital treatment. And what I left with it is although she died from leukemia, her story then became famous because her best friend, her hospital roommate took her story her inspiring real life story and put it in newspapers all around the world and her story spread and people saw this as a way to not be mad about the war anymore because that was still a controversial issue at the time and her story is just really inspiring to everybody because it just shows that you have to take everything for how it is and as Christians to always be selfless
1: right that's a great impact that you gave to it But I feel like most people would sort of say that the impact relies upon the book that you pick. And I think that's true, of course, because it depends upon the story that you're acting. So how did you end up finding that book?
0: So I was in the library and I saw this history book. I don't even know what it was called. It was on the display and it was just talking about a lot of figures during World War II that we may not know of, but have very inspiring stories. So out of curiosity, I flipped it open and the Random page that I opened it to was on Sadako Sasaki, and I was really touched by her story. And even though it was just a very brief overview of her life, it was maybe like a page. I felt so drawn towards this character, and so out of curiosity, I went to the children's section, and I actually found her book. And so I opened it, and it was such a simple story laid out for children to understand her story. But I felt that this would make such a good intro. So I went home, I read over it again. And even though I wasn't sure I was going to do an interview again, I started researching a bunch of other books and started reading those as well. But for some reason, I could not stop thinking about Sadaku's story. And so while there were other good contenders I had, um, the only one that stood out to me the most was Sadaku. So I went with her story and I felt she had so many different impacts you could take away that could leave my audience feeling influenced and moved. So that's why I picked it.
1: Yeah. And would you consider that kind of like a lucky find? Or do you think that there's stories like that all over the place?
0: I think you can take the simplest story. And if you can find a way to make it interesting and make it touching and moving, everything has, every person has a story to tell. And there are so many people that have stories before us. So you can definitely find the simplest story. And it may not seem like a big impact, for example, last year, my open interp was about Will on Still Alice, about this woman with Alzheimer's. And Alzheimer's is a very common thing to have in America or around the world, unfortunately. And so while it seems like an ordinary thing to have, you know, when parents get older, grandparents, a lot of them have dementia or Alzheimer's. But I, t- but I found that book, Still Alice, while looking on this website of sad stories when I was trying to find an interp. Uh-huh. And... I thought to myself well that's kind of like everyone kind of like a lot of people have Alzheimer's unfortunately Mm -hmm. and but I read the book and I was so moved because I have never had anybody who has Alzheimer's in my family but seeing how multiple people can relate to this one story was one of the reasons why my why I feel my open did very well was because people felt touched with it. It was a very ordinary story it was just a woman who was degrading into Alzheimer's but this story touched so many hearts and the lives of so many people. So you can definitely take any small story and if you can find a good impact to it, a good moral, and every story has some sort of moral. So I definitely think that you, it doesn't have to be an amazing, rare story, like someone in World War II saving a bunch of people. It doesn't have to be. It can be something very small.
1: Yeah. And I think you touched on this already, but what would you say makes a successful open story? And do you think that there's aspects of some opens that are different from others? And do you think some parts of emotions like humor or sadness, do you think some of them exceed better than others?
0: I don't necessarily think there is a one-size-fits-all criteria to making a a good open. I definitely think that it needs to be clear. There needs to be a plot. And there needs to be characters that people relate to. And... So I don't think there's really one thing I can say that will apply to all opens to make sure that they will win or that they will do good. But I think the main thing it comes down to is portraying a story powerfully. And that can come in so many different ways. But I also do think that it shouldn't just be sad. I think a lot of people now, and especially in NCFCA now when it comes to open interps, people tend to just go towards the saddest story and whoever People tend to think that whoever has the saddest story is the one that will win. And that's not true. I do not think that's true. I think you can have the most heartbreaking story and then just leave people feeling kind of hopeless. But then what does that do? I do think you should sprinkle some humor, some lighthearted moments, because without knowing happy moments, you won't know the gravity of the sad situations.
1: That was a very quote-worthy thing. Without knowing the happy (laughs) moments, you won't know the gravity of the sad situations and i think that's very true you need to have a a a sprinkle of both aspects of emotion and yeah definitely i think that once people pick their story they don't know how to move on from there so let's touch on that a little bit more so once you have your story selected is the writing process of that story much different from let's say other speeches
0: i do think it's definitely different because with platforms I mean, in every speech category, there's different things you want to show or showcase better. In in interps, it's way more difficult than people tend to think it is. I think a lot of people think to just find a kid's storybook and just do the main plot points, and then there, you're good. But that's not really it. It's actually really complicated if you want to fine-tune an interp. So, for example, for my duo this year... We, my partner and I, we waited till the last moment to find a duo interp. Not a good idea. I do not suggest doing that. It's a really bad habit of mine that I have when it comes to duos, like waiting till the last minute. But, and so we actually like, were arguing for like two weeks trying to find a book because we felt like we had different priorities when it comes to interps. So we ended up just picking a compromise between the two and so while you have a good book that's definitely a good start you have to feel connected to your book so we found a book that we felt connected to and same with my opens i have to feel connected to your story and try not to just pick a story that you think will do well in ncfca if you're just if you're just saying like oh i know that people like parents will like this plot you while that is good if you don't feel connected to the story you're not going to be able to portray it, and you're not going to have fun And you have to have fun when you're doing interps or else you're just going to get tired of it. Like with any speech, if you do it over and over again, but your heart's not in it, you're not going to enjoy it and it's just going to end up going downhill. But so I think once you pick your book, the biggest thing that you should do is not just find the plot points. So once you pick your book, try to divide. You have to kind of find your moral, too, because while every story can have different lessons Depending on the scene selection that you pick, will demonstrate a different value for your audience to take away.
1: Right, and you you've been talking a lot about opens and duos, but do you think that all of these principles also apply to biblical?
0: I have personally not complete uh, I have not competed in biblical. I think it's. I think it's a great category, and I have so much fun watching it. But I don't necessarily know how to cut a biblical but I, right. I feel like um with biblical I'm this is speaking I'm speaking as someone who has never done biblical before, but I think most people they come up with one main lesson they want to do and then they find stories throughout the Bible that support it. That's probably the best way to do biblical
1: okay. I'll, I'll save that question for someone who maybe has done biblical before. Okay. <laughs> so anyways, uh, so with your story, you mentioned how it's really difficult to edit it together and make it flow. So how would you recommend someone to pick parts of their story?
0: For an interp, for both open and duo, I would suggest whatever storyline best supports whatever lesson you're trying to portray is what you should use because you could go with you can tell the whole book like the main plot points which is what normally people do and then they just go with the obvious lesson but there are times when you will pick a moral or will you will pick a lesson that speaks more to you and you can hand select different parts of the story and trim scenes longer or pick specific lines that really Show the importance of what you're trying to portray. So I feel like picking scenes that best portray whatever speech or whatever lesson you want to imprint on your audience is what you should ultimately go with.
1: Do you think that you should follow the moral that the story gives you, or should you almost kind of pick a moral and extract a moral from the story and then start running with that and trying to fit the story? around this mold of the moral that you want to present to the audience?
0: I think if you're first starting with the interp, it's because you're still getting used to the world of interp and blocking, which is, it's really hard to get used to at the first time, and it's a lot to be thrown at you. So if you're starting off, maybe just go with a simple book, or if you want to do a bigger book, go with the simple plot line and just do that. But if you're more comfortable in acting and in interps and you're able to pull stuff together or you're good at writing, then I would suggest that you should try to find a lesson that speaks to you specifically. But sometimes the main lesson that the author is trying to prove is something that you want to do, and that's totally fine. But if you feel that there is a stronger impact that can be made, then you should advocate for that more.
1: Do you think it all depends upon if it comes off as natural or not? So, like, if you want to do something and you want to follow your own moral of the story, uh, as long as it looks natural and feels natural, you should pursue that. And if it doesn't, then you should just stick with the story. Is that what you would suggest?
0: I would suggest that, yeah, because, I mean, I feel like a lot of people, Eve, I'm sure you have too, haven't you, like, seen... A speech where they just kind of slap a moral just to put a moral on it. And it just kind of seems really disconnected. So as much as I really want to advocate finding your own lesson, like being original, if you're grasping too far, just don't. Because if you're like grasping, if if at the end of the day, your judges are kind of struggling to make that connection, then chances are you probably should just simplify it.
1: Yeah. So... Even if it's very complex and it doesn't feel well, then you should just stick with the actual story and go with that. Yeah. But I feel like. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Sorry. I was saying, yeah, yeah, maybe stick to the more obvious and the more natural one so that your judges can remember it. Because if you come up with a really random one, let's say it speaks to you, but you're not portraying it very well. And on your ballot, if judges are saying, I couldn't really remember your impact at the end, then that's probably something you should work on.
1: Right. And I feel like one of the ways that people inject their own morals into a story is to narration. And I feel like some interps do this, other interps don't. But what do you think about narration? And do you think that people should inject their own perspectives into a story? And do you think that that works out for some people? And would you recommend it?
0: Are you talking like narration that the author wrote or like your own narration.
1: Right. Narration that you that you have like with your words that you can add to the actual interp.
0: Oh, right. So like the intro and the conclusion. Um, I definitely think that you should do it in the intro. I mean, there are some speeches that some people just say the title and some stories are so powerful that they don't need anything besides the title and the author because that's what's required. I personally... I'm not really a fan of concluding narration because I feel it kind of takes the judges and the audience out of the story because you spend ten minutes trying to really um really try to grab your audience and bring them into this world that you're creating. And then it's like, hey, so that's the lesson we should have, and this is the impact. So I personally am not a fan of concluding narration because, I feel if you have to push narration at the end, then chances are you didn't do a good enough job portraying it throughout your story. But I definitely do think in your introduction, you should clear out details that you're gonna cover in your story that maybe you can't act or that aren't super clear to your judges based off of no props alone. So I feel like the introductory narration is a very good tool that people should utilize to clear up any confusion that could come in. That's like your one thing I should that that's the one thing that competitors should use i don't really think a concluding narration is something i'm a fan of but that's not to say that it should never be used but i'm just not a fan of
1: it right because you only have a certain amount of time in order to tell like an entire story of a whole book written across hundreds of pages and you have to fill all of that within only 10 minutes so why would you waste time or even if it's a good waste of time of using narration instead of actually building up the story and building the connectivity with the audience and the judges
0: Mm -hmm. so yeah i feel like it just kind of takes my biggest thing is that it just takes the judges and the audience out of it because they're super immersed in this story that you presented and then all of a sudden it's like all right back to reality
1: right and i think one of the ways to get immersed with the story is having connectivity with the characters But how exactly do you build this connectivity with the characters in which that you're actually following the story and you're immersed in the story and you care about what happens to the characters that you're performing?
0: That's a really good question. To get connected to your characters. I'm someone who I love to act, but I had to work hard to become at least mediocre at acting. So at first, when I did my first open, I had a coach that was telling me like, oh, just immerse yourself, which is harder than it sounds. And, you know, you hear that in all of the improv and acting classes, like just be one with your character. But it's it's easier said than done, obviously. So for me, what works personally, again, everyone has their own ways that they'll learn to connect with their character and connect with their story. But for me, the reason why I connected so well with my characters is because I felt some sort of sympathy for the situation or story that they were in. And so I picked these stories because I felt connected to it in some sort of way or like the tragedy or even if there's a happy scene, I felt it was something I could relate to. So the best way, in my opinion, or my experience to really connect with the character is just to kind of put yourself in their shoes or to relate to them in some sort of way, because For example, like I'm going to ask you a question, like the most memorable movies or your favorite characters in movies, most people have their favorite characters because they relate to them. So you obviously, if you're going to portray a character that you cannot, you've never been in that situation. For example, my open this year on the Sadaku and the 1000 paper cranes, I've never had leukemia. I've never had a health scare. I've never been in a world war, obviously. So I can't relate to those things. But I can relate to times where I've wanted to give to family members or times I've been worried about other people more than I have been myself. So just try to connect all the scenes that you are portraying your character into scenes that are somewhat similar that you've experienced. It doesn't have to be the same, but it can be similar where you felt the same emotion.
1: Yeah. And I think that might be one of the most important things. Of course, I don't have much experience backing this up, but I feel like relatability is what kind of meshes everything together throughout all different types of speeches um, in NCFCA. Relatability is what makes a winning speech and it's what's necessary in order to do well. So I think the hard part is trying to find out what is relatable and understanding that and then once you learn that you can move upon uh actually building a connection after you have a connection with the characters with the judges and then the audience because if you're not connected to the characters then the judges and the audience won't feel connected to the characters either
0: that's totally true i definitely agree with that and i also feel as though even especially with like happy characters sometimes you don't have to portray it exactly the way that the book is um, for example, I feel like also with duo it's very helpful if you have if you have like a really great partner that can that knows the way you act or the way that you function, they can really also help you brainstorm ideas for how you can help a character. For example, in my duo this year, I played a somewhat sassy-old twelve year old girl and when I was twelve years old I was really out of pocket. I was super sassy, but obviously I'm not like that anymore. At least I like to think that way. Obviously. <laughs> and so my partner, David, Um, he really helped me, he just, he helped me envision it and was like, don't think of yourself as, like, you playing Enola as you playing this character, just think of it as you and I bantering. Because when, David and I are best friends, so whenever we banter, it's somewhat, like, sarcastic and witty and snappy and snippy. So, um, thinking of it like that, that actually helped me feel way more comfortable into the character instead of thinking of, like, certain antics and mannerisms I had to think of for this character. I was kind of just like, oh, let me be sassy. And honestly, it just came like that. But of course, there are multiple different ways you can get into a character or connect.
1: Yeah. And do you think that connectivity or relatability, does that alone build emotion? Or are there other things that we need to look at in order to build emotion within the audience and the people who are watching you?
0: No. I would say that... As, I definitely do think that relating to your character and really being connected with your story plays a huge part into it, along with, you know, the plotting of your story and your blocking and all of that. But I feel like some people, another thing to really connect is the pacing of things. For example, the way you speak or even the pacing of the scenes and the time of your story. It really does play a big impact because if you're kind of rushing through a story... That can be good. There are great intros I've seen that have rushed through and you can still catch on to what's happening. But sometimes taking a pause at things really does really impact things because, you know, when people in like speeches, they say something serious and they pause and you're just like, wow, that's so deep. Huh. That's kind of what you can use as a great tool for your um, intros. Not obviously you can't just like have random pauses throughout everything to try to impact and make everything sound deep. But In very intimate scenes, for example, or scenes that are more serious. So you want your judges to remember, especially towards the end, try to slow things down. Because when things are slow, things kind of really melt into the judges' brains. And they're able to remember that more rather than something that's like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. So I think, at least from my experience, a lot of judges have said like specific scenes like, oh, this scene really spoke to me, and it was all scenes that were relatively slower.
1: Right. And do you think that by rushing through, do you mean that you're going through the scenes really, really fast, like you're acting really fast, or do you mean like you're going through as many scenes as you can in order to try to fit the entire book into a 10-minute speech? What type of rushing through do you mean, or do you mean both?
0: I think both, actually. As someone who will constantly, on my ballots and other speeches, I get you speak too fast, you're like mumbling, which is a big problem I have. But in interps, I am able to ground myself more because like I'm acting. So it's easier to like slow things down and like really feel all the emotions. But I definitely, I don't think dialogue, dialogue can definitely be fast paced and it can still melt in with the judges. But there are times when you can have an interp with maybe four scenes and have the slower dialogue in all of them and really help it marinate with the judges and and the audience so that they can remember all of these conversations that are happening. Because if you're saying a lot of lines really fast, the slow lines are the ones that are really going to sit with your audience.
1: Yeah. And I think rushing through can breed a lot of confusion throughout the interp. And I think that's a very big problem with interpretations as I've watched them, because a lot of them Um, They seem to be very confusing and I get lost up in all the characters and all of the scenes. So if you really play out which scenes you're going to have and taking it one step at a time and making sure that everyone understands what's going on, if you're taking it step by step, then that will really light up the the minds of the judges and they'll be much more understanding of what you're saying. I feel like that way is a much better way to do interps rather than trying to rush through everything and fit everything into a 10 minute speech.
0: Yeah, totally. And there's nothing wrong with fast dialogue. You can, t- if as long as you're clear all throughout. The only thing that you have to make sure of is you have to be distinct and clear through everything else. Because if your judges are having such a hard time focusing on what you're trying to say, then they shouldn't have a hard time also focusing on what you're doing, which character you are. So when it comes to blocking character, like certain characters, they have to be very distinct from each other. Their voices, their habitats, their, the way that they're standing, the way that they walk, or even another thing that I notice in interfs is a lot of people will just stand and just switch sides when they're talking. Sometimes when there are scenes where they're doing something, it gets a little bit confusing. So I feel like competitors should also beware to be clear whenever they're doing a specific motion. Let's say you're on a train. You have to make sure it's clear to the judges that you on a train, whether it's like swaying from side to side or like sitting down or fidgeting or you just have to really be clear throughout everything. If you are going to have a fast paced interp, if that's something that you want to do.
1: Right. And kind of starting wrapping up here, one of the last few questions that I have is, do you think that every interp needs a direct application to your lives?
0: I think it should have, I'm not really direct per se, but it should have some sort of impact or some sort of connection to all of our lives. Because every memorable movie or story that you have heard or remember, it's because you've taken away a lesson from it, even if it's just like the acting or the characters, but mostly the story leaves you with something to think about. And if your story is just something that's entertaining, that's great. I'm, I'm so happy for you that it's an entertaining. It can make the judges laugh or it can make them cry. But if it's just a piece that makes them laugh and cry, they're going to wonder about what though. So you really have to leave your judges and your audience with a question if whether they are taking things for granted or whatever lesson you're trying to impact, really let it sit with them. And that's why I try not to... Um, even with the morals that are very common, like, oh, be grateful for everything. That's a great impact. As You just have to really leave that with your audience because every story has an impact and every story has a lesson to learn from it. It's just up to you as a competitor to see if you can remind the judges to really use the lessons that you're trying to impact upon them.
1: Right. And on the note of impact, do you think that it's more effective when you end the story, when the story actually ends? Or should you end the story when uh, you, you think is right for it to end? Or what do you think is the best way to kind of a wrap up an in interpretation?
0: I think you should end your piece or end your interps where the moral is either fulfilled, where you can see everything wrap up nicely, or where it is like at its peak, where you can really see the lesson that you're trying to prove. And so you don't have to go with the pacing of the book. Interps, the great thing about it is that you can have creative freedom in anything, whether it's pacing and blocking and characteristics. You have almost as much freedom as you want to make this story your own retelling of it. You're interpreting it on your own way. So that way you have to be original and you have to be creative about it. So I think that you should end your interps and you should end your pieces where it can really leave the judges thinking and it should really really wrap things up nicely and i do like some interps where you kind of don't know what's going on or kind of like left with a question but you also don't want to leave your judges asking wait what happened because some judges can easily be confused you don't want them thinking wait what happened and also wait what was the moral
1: right that was an excellent way to put it and an excellent way to end this episode. I, I think that you convinced me enough to do an interpretation next
0: year. I think you so totally you should. <laughs> I,
1: I'm starting to get excited about it now. I'm probably going to do what you did and look over some books throughout the summer.
0: I look forward to watching it then.
1: Alright, thank you so much for this episode and I hope you have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you have any comments, suggestions, questions, or just want to keep up to date, you can follow my Instagram at onpointpodcast underscore. Again, that's onpointpodcast underscore. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you in the next one.